Zaria Jones and Sinjin Hawk are crazy. So Sinjin Hawk has done like production credits for Kanye and stuff. He's kind of doing his thing. And then uh, Zaria Jones makes like really crazy kind of deconstructed hyper stuff. And um, they have this really cool live show where they use an Xbox Connect as a theremin. As a theremin to... Um, What's going on out there? That The cafe people are watching a uh, beekeeping seminar. So Wait. hype stuff. What, why do you think they, what What could bees have possibly done that made them clap? <laughs> <laughs> like, Fuck, Fuck, man, the yeah, queen landed. <laughs> That's so fucking funny. Yeah, I'm oh, very they curious. They made honey, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Welcome to the Mr. Bill Podcast. I'm Anand Harsh, editor-in-chief of the Unst.com and Bill's manager, I'm also the three-time runner-up for most improved Gmail inbox and label management in Yuba County between the years 2012 and 2014. Bill's guest this week is Gino Serpentini, but you know him as Little Snake. He's a Canadian sound design genius and has a new album, A Fragmented Love Story, written by the Infinite Helix Architect that's out May 7th on Brain Feeder. It's got two collabs with Flying Lotus and one with Amon Tobin, among others. In fact, the video for Fallen Angels with Flylo is out now. He's also just a funny, charming dude, so you're really going to dig this episode. Thanks to everyone who's been rating the show and reviewing it on Apple Podcasts or whatever podcatcher you happen to use. It helps people find the show. Please also join the Patreon to get early access to episodes, bonus content, and full video for every podcast. We really appreciate everyone who supports the show that way. Um, this is a weird thing to promote, but uh, Squanto just leaked the coconut cream collab he did with Bill, so... I don't know, I guess go listen to it or leave a shitty comment because it's a whack thing to do and he's like mega canceled. Um, I, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know if this is bad. Like, whatever. Fuck it. This song like slaps. So what are you going to do? Also, we're changing the name of the Facebook group and Discord server to just Beleagles from Beleagle Immigrants because it's pejorative and further marginalizes an already put-upon group of people. Uh, the Mr. Bill team is comprised of a bunch of insensitive dumbasses, but, you know, we're capable of growth. Um, finally, head over to MrBillsTunes.com to sign up to become a hardcore Abletoneer. Bill has added a new micro-tutorial feed, and he's been putting a lot of short videos and fun clips and other great content in there. Um, fans seem to be digging this HCA feed, so uh, get on in there and, and give it a whirl. All right, go enjoy Bill's chat with Little Snake. Hey, you're listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you're listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you are listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you're 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 listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. all right let's get into it yeah um cool thanks yeah thanks for coming on man i appreciate it yeah thank you for having me man like i said it's a really huge honor and uh i feel like we got a lot to unpack because i've learned so much from you uh not exactly directly but just through you know tutorials and master classes and I really, really kind of put my own spin on it, and uh, I'm stoked to show you. I got, I got stuff to send you, man. Sick, yeah. I, I saw that you, um, you made a post about just finishing an album. Yeah, yeah, I did. Um, so I guess by the time this will air, it either have just come out or is coming out soon. Um, and is that on Brain Feeder? Yeah, that's on Brain Feeder. Yeah. So the funny thing about that is that I had written two previous versions of an album. And they both kind of had like the general concept laid out, but they weren't really special in their own way. They weren't really like that crazy. But um, eventually I had got around to the second version of the album. <laughs> Excuse me. And I had submitted it to Brain Feeder. And then I was, I had just worked on music for like, you know, the year or two preceding that trying to create this album. So 
I submitted it and um, they loved it. And then that night I was like, well, I should probably get some entertainment in me. Like I've been on like a no entertainment kick for this whole entire writing process just to write it. So of course, like, you know, the first thing you go to on YouTube is like some kind of music tutorial of sorts or something. And I went to your master classes and it was crazy. I was learning a ton, but basically um, there was two master classes and one of them, each of them had a crazy, crazy trick that I wanted to like go and just instantly execute. One of them was the EQ3 all pass trick where you just duplicate the uh, like 30 EQ3s and it creates an all pass because of like the, I guess the cross filters within them. <clears throat> yeah, so I guess like every time, uh, so what the way EQ works is by using uh, phase cancellation uh, based on like it's a delayed version of the input running back into itself. <clears throat> so if you want to like remove uh, one decibel of 40 hertz, uh, what, it, what it does is it sends one decibel of 40 hertz back into the EQ as a loop and then just puts it out of phase with itself. By totally dB, by one db so it's like because of the nature of how that works it inherently introduces some phase issues even if like you have it set to linear phase i'm not sure that completely fixes it but obviously yeah. eq3 doesn't have a linear phase mode so you so just if don't... i'm if i'm not mistaken by that logic because it sets it a certain band out of phase there is going to be some resonant uh i guess like tail within that and that's mm -hmm. kind of what creates the all pass yeah, so, exactly. yeah, so within like the other masterclass I'd watched that night, there was another trick where you had taken the reverb, like I think LD70 it's called. It's just like oh, the RT60. RT60, yeah. It's the tail of like what is silent after a certain amount of decay that is technically there. It's just inaudible because of some sort of Ableton algorithm, I take it. And you can bring these frequencies out by compression and distortion and stuff like that. So, of course, my experimental mind was like, let's put them together. So I did a chain of like some distortion and then 30 Ableton OTCs, like <laughs> just back and forth. And um, and then some distortion after a vocoder before the OTTs. And it, I was like, this is getting crazy. I was getting some crazy sounds. And eventually I just tweaked it to this fine, fine point where I wanted it. And I would put one shots through it and it would hit the one shot. It would be super distorted. But for probably like 10 or 20 seconds after, depending on how I had the parameters set up, it was just coming up with these noises that I had never heard before. It was like seeing almost a new color. Like it was like <laughs> this tonal value of like just entirely new stuff that I wouldn't have thought to create. And uh, I was like, well, this is just fucking insane. So I sat on it for the next day. I was trying all these experiments when I was putting like higher frequency stuff in. It was just distorting it. But the next day I had put a sub bass in. And for some reason, I guess kind of following the sine compression uh, logic, but it just like as soon as I put a sub bass in, it would just instantly create these like gnarly talking re-spaces, <laughs> something you would have to automate over and over and over again. And it was just like uh, almost a semi-generative patch. So a few days later, I messaged Brainfeeder and I was like, um, can we put a pause on the album? I want to try and rework this. And then the version that's out now, I guess, or coming out is completely run through that entire chain. Do you like every song on it? Or? Yeah, I had, there were some songs that were like three years old on there and I had um, decided to rework most of them. And then a lot of them are um, just started from scratch using that method. The other thing about that too is um, I, how do I describe this? I like, uh, I feel like I was going too far into like this semi-generative patch where the noises were so fucking crazy that I could just have free music essentially. And then I had to actually like take a version and tone it down into like a more musical, like, you know, rhythmic thing that fits a concept because it was just becoming this nebulous, like insane, I guess, as you would call it mud pie. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's always a balance, hey, between like, sound that is actually useful for musical purposes yeah and sound that is just like interesting and crazy for the sake of being interesting and crazy and it's like at some point um you start writing the line of like noise art and actual yeah. like musical sound design stuff i've been getting into noise music this year a bit really yeah i've um 
I've never really been super into it. I mean, sometimes I'll put on Merzbow at a party or something just to piss people off. <laughs> but like, it's yeah. um, yeah, it's something I I can't really get into for some reason. For me, I'm like huge on rhythm. Like for me, it's if if something just has a very sick like busy rhythm and it's like really technical sounding and there's like tons of ghost notes and like ops and shit like that, I'm super into it. Totally, yeah. I'm I'm the same way. I think in kind of my own way. I like slower rhythms and more like trap and rap influenced stuff. But um, it's like a lot of people will be like, you know, why is your sound design so crazy? And a big part of that is how the sound design interacts with the rhythm that's in place or the polyrhythm of sorts. Mm. Yeah. Um. Have you ever? How How would you say your stuff? Um compares to like igloo ghost for instance because i feel like i for some reason have mentally compartmentalized you guys into like the same category yeah well it's funny because like brain feeder signed igloo ghost and okay that's maybe why my brain yeah yeah and then i had found out about brain feeder around the same time igloo ghost released his debut and um then I was like, well, this is crazy. Like brain feeder is a crazy label and then they started releasing like jazz and hip-hop as they normally were doing and I kind of completely forgotten that Igloo Ghost was a key member in there. And then sure enough, when Lotus reached out and tried to sign me, I, uh, sorry, I, uh, I was like, why? And then I remembered that he's like into really weird sound design shit. And, uh, then yeah, it, I've been on the label for, I think two or three years now. And I, last week I was actually just thinking about like how I compared to Igloo Ghost. And I think he has some separate influences from me in a lot of the UK scene, kind of like some deconstructed club, some of the hyper pop stuff. And then um, obviously tempo is a big thing. He works really, really fast tempos. So yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah. He's yeah. like all up in that like 180, 190 range. Of shit. Yeah. But he's incredible, man. I, f- I love all his, everything he does him and like, like glue his project with Kai Weston and uh, baby. Their shit is crazy. Yeah. I've never heard that. I should check that out. Yeah, it's a cool little side project. How do you feel about uh, being on Brain Feeder? Because I guess like um, like I, I noticed you have like pretty much never diverted from releasing on Brain Feeder, right? It's like over the past few years, like just every release you've done has been with them. Yeah, more or less by choice, somewhat also by um, the fact that I'm on an album deal with them. I can I have freedom to do pretty much whatever I want, but it's it's there's some complications if i were to release like say an album on another label um but at the same time i haven't really wanted to do anything else because it's like you know why would i i'm not really kind of in like the saturate record scene that like no offense to them i just like i don't really make that kind of music and then um warp is a little more experimental and then it just kind of met all these niche like influence topics and um freedoms i needed in a label and it for that reason i just kind of never really tried to get out of it hmm. yeah that's cool yeah i've never really had a relationship like that with a label i guess the closest thing for me has been mousetrap um yeah fuck yeah but yeah. i've never like had a i've never been on like an album deal or anything like that it's usually i just like work with labels on a deal per deal basis kind of thing totally yeah yeah which i I don't really understand like why album deals even exist anymore i can understand why they existed back in the day like when labels were sort of you know fronting like hundreds of thousands of dollars for a band to create a record or whatever and they're like well we you know we're gonna want to invest in you basically for a series of albums or years or whatever so hey man come on chill that's like <laughs> your cat <laughs> she's like just biting my hand right now it's crazy yeah um yeah i can understand like if a label wanted to invest you know uh in a in a band for a long time or whatever but i don't think it makes that much sense with the industry the way it is now like and, totally. and the way that music is made these days where it's not made in these like crazy expensive studio <laughs> jesus christ look at this shit <laughs> <laughs> just clawed onto you my cat does the same thing <laughs> yeah it's interesting i mean um for probably the betterment of their quality the brain feeder is a really old label like i think they started in 2008 but like flying lotus is i believe in his 40s <laughs> i hope um yeah he's then, been like, around forever man like he's, he's definitely been around since i first got into electronic yeah music. exactly like that was some of the first electronic i had ever heard ever and um then like you know the label managers and the assistants like also on the older side they're definitely not like in their 20s but 
they do things traditionally and then the sound they put out is a little bit more modern um, and I think it's a good fusion because there is some good tactics in marketing, you know, just with how labels were run for years. But um, once in a while, I'll be like, yo, we should like create a hotline that leads you to like this neural net website that gives you a tab of acid. And then you have to find the record on some street. And they're like, no, we're just going to release a music video. <laughs> the classic move. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yo, speaking of like, uh, you said you mentioned Mousetrap at once and then how long ago it was when we were listening to Flying Lotus. One of the first times I had ever heard electronic music, Dead Mouse was playing um, a foot locker, like a foot store in a mall. And there was like probably 50 people there. And I was like eight or nine. In Calgary? Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> it was so funny. I, I hate saying this, but if you Google um, Dead Mouse Chinook, mall footlocker you'll see me and my sister like we're so young just standing behind the glass right beside him oh my god dude he played <laughs> yeah, it's so what funny the, why is he playing in a footlocker <laughs> it was so strange i think it was kind of like he was definitely bigger at that point he wasn't like uh, at the stage where he had to play a footlocker but i think it was kind of like one of those like for the culture things we'll play this like huge sold out free show in a mall and then... <laughs> is this you the little kid with the blue shirt yeah, and then the blonde hair beside is my sister. Oh my god, dude, that's, that's so good. What the fuck, man? This is such a weird... It's so strange, yeah. Like, why is he playing in a footlocker? <laughs> yeah, I, you know what? It's one of those things that I was like, oh, this is the rave scene back then. But as years go on, I remember it once every six months probably, and I'm like, it just gets weirder and weirder and weirder. Like, there's, it's so specific on why that happened. I don't know. I should have asked him. I, I mean, I didn't obviously have this information, but I had um, I had him on my podcast like a few like. Yeah, I've been meaning to listen. Yeah, I, sh I wish I had have asked him about that. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> well, if you're talking to him soon and you do ask him about it, please let me know because I'm very curious. Yeah, I will. I'll send him a message on Discord after this. I, I wonder um, if it was just. I mean, it's got to just be a money thing or something. I mean, I don't know. I guess like when you're on tour. The less yeah. off time you have, the better, right? Because every day you're out on the road, it's like... Yeah, totally. He, he must have been playing in Edmonton or something, and then Calgary was just like, hey, we got several thousand dollars for you. Mm. I also love in this video that he's got, like, the frosted tips going yeah. on. It's like some Hats old... off. <laughs> yeah, it's like some old Backstreet Boys shit. <laughs> Man, that day I tried... I was, like... Dead, I was the eight-year-old dead mouse for that whole year proceeding. Like, I went home and played with the EQ settings and iTunes, and then I tried to do everything like him. I created my, like, I made my mom help me create a dead mouse hat, and, like, Dude, I, was, I was dead mouse <laughs> that year. <laughs> You're just, like, fucking with the EQ settings in iTunes, like, yeah, this is how it's done. <laughs> I thought, well, I guess there is EQs on mixers, but I literally didn't think of anything outside of it. I thought that's what he was doing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's like, that's a better assumption than, than, than what I thought the first time I saw electronic music played live. The record I just thought scratching. like, oh man, I had like, I don't know why I thought this, but I just thought like they had, like I saw decks and shit and I was just like, man, those things have, they're just like the most complicated pieces of equipment and surely they're like, you know, making all of the sounds like yeah. right now just somehow on that sure enough i'm young like i'm 22 so before i started djing djing i went to a g jones and bleep loop show in my city and it was just like obviously this new like nebula of sound of just crazy shit and they're very active on stage like they don't fake anything but they dance a lot and they actually do do quite a bit to their ableton controllers but in my mind i was like they're playing the beat they're making the sound design on the fly they're transitioning somehow between these improvisations and then also at the same time i'm on acid so they're probably controlling my mind like <laughs> I, I feel like everybody has that thought when they first see electronic music live right yeah they're, they're like oh this is how it like they're definitely making all this happen on the spot and yeah this totally. definitely is all about me and my my shit yeah like, exactly I'm, this is my experience that i'm having like all this like really weird thoughts can happen when you're on acid at a show for the first time but um i think really 
like when I learned what was going on, I was sort of like depressed or like <laughs> sad about it. Also. For weeks, man. Yeah, it was a tough time for realizing they were just twisting knobs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like, what? You just like play one tune and then another tune. It's like I can do that shit on fucking any piece of software on my computer. And I do I that like, on oh, SoundCloud right. on a daily basis. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's just like making a playlist or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Hold on. Uh, the, are you editing the podcast? Can I just switch to my AirPods? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's edited. So yeah, you can do whatever. Yeah, man. I have the AirPods too. They're great. Yeah. Love, I love AirPods. Uh, this podcast brought to you by AirPods. <laughs> <clears throat> I actually got these AirPods for slightly cheaper than normal because um, my girlfriend's boyfriend works at Apple. Oh, hell yeah. Nice. You should have just got him through Richard Devine. Oh, he also works at Apple. Yeah, right? that's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> I feel like I feel bad for Richard, man. He he feels so bad about like that story <laughs> he told me that made me pass out. And I was like, man, I like and I emailed him like twice, being like, man, it's not your fault. Like, yeah, this totally. Is just some shit that happens to me sometimes, I guess. And you, <laughs> you don't have to like, yeah, don't worry about it. <laughs> I would have and felt he, really bad too, but I could see it. Like, it's very visible in the podcast that he didn't know you like had passed out. <laughs> yeah, he had no idea. Yeah, I mean, clearly, he was just like. I, I like when he emailed me back after the podcast, he was like, yeah, man, I don't know. I just saw you like go out of frame and then, and then all of a sudden you're back and like, yeah, you know, totally. <laughs> hmm. All right. My I AirPods, talked about this. My AirPods are refusing to connect. So I'm just going to keep going with the audio we have. It's fine. It's better that we just talk. I think like my podcast editor, he's always like, yeah, you should um get the other guests to like use headphones or whatever. But I mean, it's not the end of the world. Like, yeah, podcast yeah. this way and. This is a good mic too. I think it's an SM8 or something. Oh yeah, is it a dynamic or a condenser? It's the uh, dynamic. It's like the handheld one. Yeah, well that's that's good because um, it means like it's probably less likely to pick up your speakers, right? It's like more. Yeah, totally. I got a stupid like humming thing going on in my speakers too. I got to figure out the power. Oh yeah, I hate that shit. I actually just got a new uh, preamp for nice. this mic, and. I had like a bunch of humming shit as well. And yeah, same deal. I think I need to get a power conditioner. Yeah, totally. Is that what you need? A power conditioner? I haven't really looked into it. Yeah, I think you need one of those like Furman things or whatever that you see in everyone's racks that have the... Oh, I see. Damn, yeah. yeah. I should Google this. What are they called? They're called um, Furman Power Conditioner, something like this. <clears throat> Yeah, one of these, what is it, this? Yeah, these, I guess, M8X2 Merit Series 8. Yeah, they're like 70 bucks. No, that's not bad. Guess. Yeah, I suppose. Um, I see them in like everyone's studio racks. Right. People are all about them. Yeah, I guess with a, uh, you're talking about Euro rack, I take it? No, this is like a full like one U or two U like or one U I think rack that just like sits in in your rack and it's just a bunch of power outlets on there. Oh, crazy! Yeah, yeah, shit. Yeah, man, fuck. I, it's an old ass building too. Like I get, it's like probably close to seventy years old now. So I gotta f figure out probably some wiring as well. <laughs> mm, that's not too bad. I mean, I'm in San Fran where there's like a bunch of old Victorian shit. Yeah. <laughs> It's Man, Calgary, um, I've only been there a couple of times, but one of the times I went there was during this time uh, where there was a big festival called Stampede. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah. everyone was just like wearing cowboy hats and shit. Yeah, Stampede is funny. It's like the anti-Christ of uh, the artistic Calgarian. It's like, it's cool and all, like when you're young and then you go and like go on some rides, go get some weird food, but... As you get older, it's really just an excuse for the city to get like obliterated. Like it's like, <laughs> it's it's like Shambhala basically, but for um, you know people in their thirties that didn't do anything with their lives, so they're just kind of depressed about it. No offense to the Stampede, but it's just like every time it happens, there's always so much rampant crime, not from anybody like in specific that you might expect. It's rampant crime from like drunk white people and oil and gas. And it's a bad time. Luckily, do you know Base Coast? Yep. That Base Coast happens the same time almost always as the Stampede. And that's just a province over from us. So a lot of like my team will go to Base Coast during the Stampede. <laughs> nice. 
Yeah, um, I've also heard another thing in specifically Edmonton, I think I heard about this. Um, they call those people who are super rich from oil rig pigs. Rig pigs, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Yeah, it's it's crazy. I mean, oil just kind of hit a decline because I think Joe Biden like stopped the pipeline or something. And now we're like fucked as a city because like most of downtown, every skyscraper is uh, oil and gas buildings. And there's something like 40,000 jobs lost in Alberta because of it um, yeah. and like higher up jobs too. But while it's fucking up the economy, me and all my friends are kind of, you know, like praying for it because the oil is fucking up our world in one way or another, but ups and downs to both of it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, we should just switch to nuclear power, right? Or um, <laughs> isn't, is it nuclear is pretty clean, right? I actually don't know. I haven't looked into it too much. I'm only really like into the uh, renewable, like natural things, solar and wind. Yeah, nuclear is a zero emission clean energy source. It generates power through fission, which is the process of splitting uranium atoms to produce energy. The heat released by fission is used to create steam that spins a turbine to generate electricity without the harmful byproducts emitted by fossil fuels. That's hard. Let's go. Let's do that. <laughs> yeah, we, we honestly, we just need to like run the whole world on nuclear. Yeah, energy. and that's so much cooler too. Like when you it ask sounds you, bad you, though, right? Because like when you say nuclear, you're like oh, nuclear waste, like oh, fuck that. <laughs> yeah, but it's actually like apparently super clean. The inner seven-year-old boy in me too is like, let's go nuclear cars. <laughs> <laughs> nuclear cars. <laughs> that's where it's at. Yeah, I wonder why my mind thinks that nuclear... Oh, wait, someone's saying... Oh, wait, nuclear power releases toxic radiation on a routine basis. It is not carbon-free. Its carbon footprint is substantially higher than renewables, and it uses far more water in an era <laughs> of war. Okay, never mind. What a strange long trip it's been. So, okay, so, like, the first piece of information I got was from a website called energy.gov. Oh, my <laughs> and then, God. And no then the way. second piece of information I got was from nirs.org. So, <laughs> who do we believe, energy.gov or nirs.org? Honestly, if we're looking at, like, societal structures, I'm trusting more. Gov, probably less than org. It's a good point. Yeah, org really, like you know, banded together to figure this shit out. Yeah, they they got a whole paper that that I can read here that I might read later. Yeah, send me that. Fuck, man, it's crazy. All the stock shit is fucking wild, too. I I made a small chunk of money recently, and I really don't be doing that often, so I'm investing in uh, crypto. (laughs) Oh, shit. Wait, you made money on stocks? No, just like in general. So I'm in, I'm going to start investing for the first time in my life. Dude, I don't know why. I think this might just be some like beta mine, mine what is it? Beta Meinhof phenomenon or whatever. That like when you hear about something, like it becomes, you hear about it constantly for like the next week or whatever. Yeah. Um, I feel like I've just, that's been investing for me over the past few days. I've just been hearing nothing but investing. It's been everybody. I mean, the GameStop stuff happened like a week ago and then everybody's just like, oh, maybe this can actually make some money. Yeah, I definitely um, have been thinking a lot about investing the last few days too. Probably not in crypto um, because I think crypto is like a bit, I don't know, I'm I'm on the fence about, I I definitely air more towards the side of it being bullshit and like a big Ponzi scheme. Yeah, totally. It it feels like that too. I kind of want to just do it like super, super temporarily and see what it does and then go from there. My uh, my landlord lives above me and her brother, I guess several years ago, put penny stocks into lithium mining for like electric cars, batteries. And he just checked today and it was up 800%. Oh, wow. I, yeah, he's a, like rich what's now. What's a penny stock? <laughs> Sorry? What's a penny stock? Penny stocks are like, they're just stocks, but they are cost like cents, basically. You just buy like... Cheap stocks, like Dogecoin is a penny stock. Yeah, I guess it's a penny penny, uh, Bitcoin type deal. Penny coin. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, true. But yeah, man, it's such a fucking headache. Like I already like am just so bored of, you know, getting emails from my bank as is. I just kind of want to go to like an investment firm and, you know, see what they can do for me. Yeah, I think generally um, if you go by the Warren Buffett standards, he's just like invest in an index fund in the S&P 500 and (laughs) the shit will be pretty stable. Yeah, yeah. 
Or you can just YOLO it on Bitcoin, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Ethereum looks like it's kind of next up, but I don't know. Like I said, it's a temporary thing. I, I don't see it replacing any kind of uh, currency. They say it reverts, like crypto specifically reverts to the gold standard, but at the same time, we're like just, it's still capitalism. Like it's still a standard and it's just kind of like, we're going to meet the same issues at the end of the day. So I don't know. That's kind of how I feel about it as well. Yeah. It's like, um, this doesn't really solve any problems. The main problem underlying all money is human greed, right? So it's like, it's exactly. not going to solve that. And, yeah. and if, if you can't solve that, then you sort of stuck it. Yeah. And this is like... I like I'm not the biggest fan of Elon Musk for many reasons, but the Neuralink concept is kind of tight to me because if we could all maybe sync up on a thought, like if we could all agree that like, yo, this is kind of fucking us up. If we all sat there in one technological kind of super internet thought, we would probably agree to move past it. I think it's just like so many difference of perspectives and like individualistic perspectives that like contain us from thinking about, yo, this is not working. Wait, you're saying like if we could all get on Neuralink, uh, it could um, like line up all of our values simultaneously so we could do away with capitalism and the way money is operating. Yeah, not necessarily like so just I should. Yeah, I should definitely give some more context. Basically, like with like the apex of Neuralink, if we were to get to this kind of point where we could um, upload our consciousness, you know, to some select like cloud-based consciousness and we were able to share thoughts on the fly instantly and together like simultaneously i feel like if a large group of us did this we'd kind of come to an agreement that capitalism is like more or less fucking us up like (laughs) and that's kind of one of the things i'm stoked on for like you know on elon musk's side but at the same time like it has the potential for it to be like any kind of ai it could just be trained to do some certain thing and make us think some certain way and i don't know if elon musk is the correct person to be leading that (laughs) i feel like elon's pretty solid i mean he's good he's good it's just like he's a he's also the richest man in the world now i did not know that yeah he yeah he just topped as the richest man in the world i think he's still there but like today or no a week ago or something like that i'll look it up um yeah, and it, just at that level, it's like it's to a degree, you probably have corporate greed. So that's kind of what I'm scared about. Like, if you have that much money, then I'm like, hmm, maybe like you did some sketchy things to get there. But at the same time, if it's between like Jeff Bezos creating a Neuralink scenario and, you know, Elon Musk, it's Elon any day of the week. Yeah, I think Elon's pretty solid. I don't really have too much of a problem with him being the richest man in the world. I have yeah, more totally. Of a with Jeff Bezos or Mark Zuckerberg being the richest person. Yeah, in the world totally. Although I will say, um, uh, from what I hear, Mark Zuckerberg is actually fairly um, f- what is it philanthropic? Like he gives quite a lot of his money away to. I think yeah. he gives like something like ninety something percent of his wealth away or some shit. Is that is that true? That's fire. You would assume as much because like he was just kind of like an internet nerd. He was just trying to create something cool and then got rich crazily. And then somebody like Jeff Bezos, you are like, he was born and just wanted to get rich. Yeah, check this out. Facebook founder and billionaire CEO Mark Zuckerberg and his wife Priscilla Chan have promised to give away 99% of their Facebook shares to help charity via their philanthropic organization, the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative. Running the initiative, of course, means working together. Yo, let's go. That's fire. Holy yeah, 99% shit. Yeah, 99% of their shares. Like, that's crazy. Yeah, that's so, I mean, crazy. Like, yeah, so, you know, people talk shit about Mark Zuckerberg, but, I mean, that's pretty solid, man. Like, yeah, he's giving yeah. away a lot. Bill Gates, of, too. Lot. Like, Bill Gates, obviously, like, the vaccine and shit was crazy, but Bill Gates really goes hard with charity work with the Bill and Melinda Foundation as well. Yeah, and he was, like, way ahead of everyone on this fucking Yeah, movie. totally. <laughs> virus shit he was like man we gotta like look out for that and everyone was like yeah yeah whatever you fucking paranoid fuck yeah <laughs> and he's totally. like i read i read like three books a day <laughs> dude he he reads a lot he reads um i want to say he reads one book every day and people around him who know him really well think that he retains like 90 percent of the information that he reads which is crazy because like if i read a book or listen to an audiobook 
I retain like less than 1% of it probably like I forget most of it. Yeah, and not even that, but like I retain 1% of one page over the course of 20 minutes cuz I get so fucking distracted all the time. That's crazy. What a dude. Yeah, yeah, so he just punches through a book every day and then remembers like 90% of it and it just stores in there and stays there. Crazy. That's some alpha male shit for sure. Yeah, dude. Yeah, big big dick energy for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. So what are you working on that's new? You got anything in the pipeline coming up? Um, I mean, I've just been working on... So for the last like few years, I feel like I've just been... Mostly last year because I had tons of time, but I feel like I've just sort of been meandering around making beats and shit and like not really having any goal. Yeah. Like just sort of making stuff and just feeling a little bit lost in all the stuff I was making <clears throat> um, until like probably... I don't know, last week or even like this week, really, I, it just all started clicking that I kind of have like an album worth of material sitting here. Hell yeah, man. That's um, fucking awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I'm just going to like, uh, so I've, I've picked like out of, you know, probably a hundred whips or whatever. Yeah. Like the few that I think sort of feel like uh, a little, you know, collection. Yeah, and totally. I'm, and then I'm just going to work on those, I think, until I can uh, just whittle it into an album. Yeah, I think I was just listening to your podcast with maybe Wolg. Yeah, I think it was Wolg. And he was talking about how Tim Hecker uses a similar process where he sits on all these, like, you know, compositions and then comes back to them from a listening perspective and decides from the listener's perspective where the narrative would sit, kind of, as opposed to writing the narrative from start to beginning. And I think that's, like, super, super useful as well. Yeah, I feel like it's just impossible to have that objectivity when you're working on something because you just hear it so much. You're so like uh, married to all the little edits and like totally. all the, the little details and shit in it that you kind of like forget what the overarching picture of that song even is. Yeah, like, you, totally. You sometimes like we'll think the song is about this like one sound that you made or something, but really it's like about something completely different. It's like this whole melody and like narr like theme and shit. It's got nothing to do with like the edits and the sound design. They're just there as like decorations. Totally, yeah. Yeah, man. It's it's fucking wild. And these things kind of like just from what I've noticed writing my album is like it is a balance of both. Like you do try and achieve a narrative and a concept and then obviously you do try and just arrange a narrative and a concept out of what you have but in such a like micro focused w way of like every element on how it's arranged it's a balance of all of it it kind of pieces itself together more than you piece it together and then it just becomes easier and easier as you go because the nebula of thought just kind of tightens in right like you start really building this mental map of like what what it is yeah totally totally yeah i think that's so i think that's kind of what it is is like over the last year that mental map was just like slowly forming, I guess. And then it's like in the last week, it's like I've unlocked the extra like, you know, little corners of the map and shit. And I'm like, oh, whoa, I can like totally. see all the areas now. And like <laughs> totally, man. Yeah, it's exciting. As soon as you like feel like you have something on lock, you're just like, let's go. It That's is. Great. Yeah, is exactly, it, would, would that be your debut? No, man. I've released like 10 albums. Albums. Okay, word. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I've I, feel like, like I feel like this one in particular is probably going to be like the, the Mr. Bill album. I mean, that's what I think every time though, right? Like every, <laughs> yeah. every new album I make, yeah. I'm like, this is the one. Like, this is the definitely the the album. Like, I felt like that. Um, my last album I put out was Apophenia. Right. And when I put that out, I was like, dude, this is like, I, like this is, you know, setting the bar for like what my sound is and what I stand for musically and all that shit. Um, and now I feel like I'm just you know, resetting it again. Fuck yeah. Well, yeah, I was kind of talking with Lotus about this because like I was saying, I changed the album so many times and it was like, he was like, are you finally happy with this? Cause you got to stop like messaging us new albums. Like it's <laughs> getting annoying. And, uh, I was like, yeah, I've kind of accepted that. Like no matter what, how much of an effort of like this outline of work you try and have really what it is at the end of the day is like a frozen moment of time in your life whether it's the technical skill or like the concepts or the emotions you're going through. It's just this frozen, like maybe two, three year period of your life that you're trying to put down on paper essentially. And he was like, well, no man, like it, it's not like that. It's always changing. Like your life's changing every single day. That'll just be a new album every day, essentially. And I've kind of come to see that the album writing process isn't necessarily one or the other it's more so where you draw the line of where to stop 
Well, it's like a snapshot of time, right? It's like an yeah. average of how you felt over that three-year period or whatever. Totally. Like for instance, this album that I'm that I'm working on now, it's like, it's not all about like where my skills are at right now. It's about like how I felt and who I was and where my skills were at over this entire period of like a, a few years or whatever. Totally. Um, yeah. And, yeah. And, and also like where I was emotionally over that time too. And I think that's kind of cool too. Cause if you make something just on like one day, like on, and you say like, all right, that's done. Um, <clears throat> it's going to be like too hyper specific in certain areas. I think like it's going to yeah. be, you know, too hyper specific on this one trick that you're into that day and too hyper specific on this, like one frequency range that you seem to enjoy that day for some reason or something like that. You know, it's going to just like have all these like attribute, like areas of, too much of certain things but if you like spread that writing process out for that same song over the span of like months exactly then it kind of like evens all out and it becomes this more like balanced piece of music i find totally what i kind of tried to do on like this recent album is i tried to make the constant change like i tried to make the constant that was in the whole narrative especially within the sound design i tried to you know make everything a variable where like everything was like this kind of sound collage thing morphing in between everything and then really really focusing in on the transitions between either the sections of the songs or the sections of the sounds like even microsonically and then the section like the transitions in between the songs themselves as well and um i feel like that was kind of a cool concept on its own to achieve because that can just open like a nebula for inspiration for a lot of people too if they want to pick some certain sound they heard out of that and make it their own thing that always like ends up fire you know yeah i always think like um <clears throat> with music if you just like chuck a shit ton of detail in as well yeah it gives it a lot of like re-listen value yeah you know, totally it's like if a song is too simple you listen to it once and even though it might be really satisfying you kind of don't feel like you need to listen to it again totally but if a song has has just like tons and tons of depth and which is something you can really only get from working on a song i think for months on end yeah um then that's kind of like i think when when you start really listening over and over again and like picking little things out each time and i think that's there's lots of value to that yeah well. totally did you ever listen to culprit's florin or uh sorry deliverance yeah yeah of course yeah that's, um, that's that's got a shitload of realism that's value. yeah that's a great great example of just spending time on music i was mm -hmm. yeah man i was fucking like every track i had written in probably t late 2019 and all of 2020 <clears throat> aside from the album like if it was just the bass track i was pretty much finishing in like three or four hours and that's like partly due to the fact that i had had like really good techniques on lock but when I was creating the album songs, I think the reason they were so good is because I was spending like weeks at a time on them. And then slowly after listening to them for a while, I was like, oh, yeah, this is way better than the bass tracks I've been making. It almost was like a shock to the senses that if I spent time on music, it'd be good. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, it makes sense, right? Um, yeah. Do you. Uh, <clears throat> oh, sorry. I remember my question. Um, do you tend to like spend like a week or two on like one track only or do you tend to make like a bunch of tracks and just sort of cycle through them and work on a different one every day it's tough to say it you know it's constantly changing but recently i guess over the past year or so what i've been doing is like um i'll make probably two beats or three beats a day if i'm just going into the studio to write music only and then um usually out of that week of like writing two or three beats a day, I have one or two that are just exciting. Like they're like, I know this is going to be a banger and then I finish them. Um, and then the process of time it takes to finish them is probably like maybe a week if they're really on it. Um, but yeah, like I said before that, it was just like I would finish them in that three hour period and that would be the track. <laughs> and what, what does the finishing stage look like? Is it just nothing but working on that track for a week or two? The finishing stage for me actually has kind of been super tied into the listening stage of it after you think it's done. So obviously the more you listen to it, the more you can be like, I could fix that. But um, I think it kind of comes to the point where the concept itself, the like body of the track can't be changed anymore or else I would kind of take away from what it is. Mm -hmm. The technical side can be a little bit changed, but it's not going to do much. And then if the mix down is so tedious that I notice like people around me are like, you're 
doing nothing to this track or if even i notice that it like it's so minuscule which is probably the hardest line to tell then it's kind of like okay this is done like i could sit on this and then even then i'll sit on it for longer and if i decide i hate it i won't put it out yeah yeah this i find the same thing it's like i get to a point where i'm making these like 0.1 db changes in like eqs yeah and stuff like that and i'm like this is this has got to be done right yeah <laughs> it's it's the same kind of pattern follows in a lot of audio stuff like i just got that studio recently and I, it's just acoustically treated with foam and a couple panels but i found the more you really try and treat something like with corner traps and making sure your room is mapped it exponentially becomes less and less um effective in what you're doing the more work you put into it so like the bulk of it for acoustically treating this room specifically was just making sure it was dampened like the it wasn't hitting too many points of reflection and then like corners kind of started becoming less and less important and then everything else surrounding that that like costs a lot of money and you need to put way more work into it kind of became this thing where you had to like put all this effort and nothing was coming out of it to your you know perception so wait, what what you're saying is um you think treating a room too much like detracts from the writing process somehow? No, 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 no. It, I just kind of like draw the parallel of like when you are putting so much effort into the final stages of something, you could probably quit a bit earlier. So the same parallel would draw to music. Like if you're mixing down point dB things on an EQ, it probably could be done. And if you released it, you know, a day before or finished it a day before, nobody would really notice. And I feel like a lot of things in audio are the same way. Like if you're really adjusting like a minuscule amount of where your bass trap is in a corner or something, it's not really going to do much, but it's just like this kind of neurotic thing that producers tend to do. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of true. Yeah, I definitely agree that like to, to at some point, um, there's like diminishing returns on your time invested, right? It's like when you first start a track, the first few hours on it are like the most productive by far. Um, and then I guess like, is that just full of coffee? Yeah. My, so my studio is in the same building as a cafe my friend started. It's how I found the joint. It is an old recording studio, so I just took it over. But um, they, uh, they close at six my time and they always just have leftover drip coffee. So like my the way my night pans out is I get the drip coffee, drink all of it, and then just write all the music and do all the work I missed that day. <laughs> Damn. So you, like you wake up at night, right? Yeah, recently I was doing really good, but like, man, for years, my sleep schedule has just been awful. Like there was a point earlier in 2020 where I was waking up at like 12 a.m. every day, <laughs> which was pretty shitty. But um, right after that, it's it's just hard to tell at some points. Like right after that, I was waking up at 7 a.m. every day, depending on if I could reset it. And then uh, it's kind of like just a big loop. <laughs> yeah, it's been work. I'm literally having sleep polyrhythms sometimes. Like if I really yeah, pay yeah, attention yeah. to it, it seems like the way they're meeting up in the middle is like kind of in sync somehow. It's it's strange, but I've actually had that before as well. I think that's like pretty common for. Um, for producers and just creative people in general. Yeah. Touring um, will not help. <laughs> yeah, touring definitely does not. Um, I found in my older age, like uh the I'm I'm like 32 now. Uh the the older I get, the more my sleep pattern has sort of become a bit more normal. It's still not totally normal. Like, I mean, I went to bed last night at 5 a.m. and I woke up today at 11 a.m. Right. Um, yeah. But I mean that's like it's fairly normal. Like do you find to, you need do you find you need less sleep as you get older? Oh yeah, for sure. And I mean, that scales back, right? Like if you think about how much sleep you needed when you were a baby, it's like 18 hours a day or some shit. I mean, just the other day, I did stay up for like 40 hours, but um, two mornings ago, I slept 20 hours. That's crazy. Why did you stay up for 40 hours? I have severe, severe insomnia. It's kind of tied in with some other mental issues, but like my insomnia is so bad that I need to take like ridiculous amounts of downers at night just to even get to sleep. And it's like kind of a problem and then i'd like on top of that to get awake from the downers from the previous night i have to drink like shit loads of coffee so it's kind of the shitty cycle <laughs> damn and you think if you just like maybe the coffee is keeping you up though like what if you just cut caffeine so we've tried that and then eventually it takes like two weeks to adjust your rhythm and then what ends up happening is i end up in the state where i'm 
still unable to get to sleep. I still have to take quite a bit of downers to get to sleep, like prescribed, by the way. I'm not just popping beans. Um, <laughs> I have to take quite a bit of medication to get to sleep. And then um, I have to, at the end of the day, without coffee, take less medication to get to sleep. But I still, on average, sleep about 12 hours. And then throughout the day, I'm a zombie on the medication. And I've tried switching medications. I've tried everything in between. It's just like, it's an unfortunate cycle. I found my sweet spot with coffee, but... There's no other substances in my life, thank God. I have, like, I smoke cigarettes and a lot of coffee, but that's about it. That's pretty much the the producer diet right there. Producer special, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm kind of on a similar type of diet. I just, I've gotten myself down to one coffee a day now because I was drinking, um, like, four or five a day, which was just too much. Yeah. Um, And I started to, like, get short of breath and shit, like, in the middle of the day just from, like, caffeine. I was just like, oh, fuck. Yeah. Um, The worst cycle I was in is, like, got i had was having so many panic attacks so i'd get prescribed ativan and then i would drink coffee to the point of like having a panic attack and i'd take my ativan and i'd run out of ativan my doctors would be like well why are you out of ativan like it's been a day and they just assumed i was abusing it so i couldn't get it for a long time and then i learned that i should drink less coffee essentially <laughs> mm, ativan i've never heard of this it's a, oh, it's a benzo it's like sieges. the minuscule version of xanax Oh, yeah, it can be used before surgery and medical procedures to relieve anxiety. Yeah, I'm on like, I get prescribed one milligram when I need it. And it's like, you won't notice if you take one milligram. It's just more so like a tone you down. It works by enhancing the effects of certain natural chemicals in the body, GABA. Yeah, GABA. So GABA, you can get like melatonin in a pill. Like gabapentin? I think so i don't know what it fully stands for i'm not sure if it's that though um it's just gaba typically at like health food stores and it works in the same way as melatonin would like it just triggers melatonin into your receptors but i had bought some gaba in a funny way which i'll tell in a sec but the shit like i thought they were just selling drugs at the store like i was so so fucking relaxed and uh the reason I was because my nervous system was so shit at the time. And then I realized like I kind of needed some, you know, GABA in my brain. But, um, yeah, if you have a shitty anxiety thing and you end up taking this, you will feel like fucked. <laughs> yeah. I had gabapentin prescribed to me for a while. <clears throat> um, cause I was like, uh, an alcoholic and I was like quitting alcohol. Uh, and then I like some other doctor was like, why the fuck are you taking gabapentin? That's like the, not the right thing to take for this. Yeah, that doesn't sound like it. <laughs> yeah, they prescribed me a bunch of other shit. So like the original doctor for some reason just prescribed that to me and it was just a bad prescription. How long have you been off alcohol? About six months now. Hell yeah, man. Hell yeah. Good. It's been yeah. four years for me and drugs. Nice. Yeah, That's good. Yeah, yeah it's... Um, yeah, it's solid to be sober for sure. I think that's another reason why like an album is finally coming together. Yeah, totally. I'm, I'm not just all like scattered all the time. And Time on your hands and you also have a clear mind state of what you want to be doing instead of like just either A, partying or like touring or B, um, just scattered thoughts like you said. It keeps a clear mind. Totally, yeah. The, yeah, I felt like when I was drinking too much and like doing too much drugs and stuff, I'd constantly be like unsure if I was like on the right path with music and all that kind of shit. And yeah, now with a clearer mindset, I'm, I'm just like, it's like whatever I want to do is cool. And I feel like, uh, yeah, I feel like just more sure about my thoughts, I guess. Yeah, totally. Yeah. It's interesting. I, uh, I was abusing a lot of psychedelics and I had the same kind of thought. It's like, well, shit, there's, is this what I should be doing? And I feel like I attribute that to, you know psychedelics in specific having such a like crazy branch out nebula of thought that you could be like you could just choose any direction and commit to that and it'd be fire if you really committed to it but um the essential part of like making a good project is actually just committing to something confidently and not you know like trying to take in every option (laughs) that's actually true yeah Yeah. i think i would i would agree with that because yeah there's something like I've I've definitely gone down that rabbit hole before of like oh there's a new fancy genre out I should try and make it or yeah. and then like oh there's this new opportunity that I have like I should take it and yeah like all this kind of shit but like I, I definitely agree um, to make something really sick you definitely just have to have a, a like an idea you have to be confident about it and you just have to like 
go hard on it. Yeah, <laughs> actually do it. That kind yeah. of felt the same way, man. When Hyperpop was coming up, I was like, damn, this is kind of cool. And I feel like I resonated with it a lot because it was like taking kind of hip hop influences with just weird sound design, but obviously different elements like pop punk. And then um, I was kind of inside of me. I was just like, maybe this is my home. Like maybe I should start writing hyper pop. But at the end of the day, like I feel like it would just kind of be the same situation with like electronic experimental bass music is like I I'm sure you can resonate with this to some degree, too, is we're doing our own thing. And sometimes we will play really good bass music shows. Sometimes we'll probably play pretty good hyper pop shows too, but not necessarily like hyper pop or bass music artists per se. Yeah. I mean, I think also though, um, you have to be careful about like saying to yourself, I can't do certain things as well. Um, because if you're like, Oh, I can never make hyper pop for instance, it's like you may be locking yourself up from a whole area of, your cool influence in your music yeah totally totally yeah i'm really feeling a deconstructed club recently what what is hyperpop and deconstructed club i've never heard of either of these genres oh so like hyperpop is like you know 100 gex i've heard the name i've never like listen listened to them interesting so hype uh, what that's crazy they're they're really on the up it's kind of um it's really splitting like it's it creates a great divide, but hyperpop specifically is like kind of an ironic take on electronic experimental bass music, but in the pop form. Um, so they're like bringing back a lot of artists like Rebecca Black just collabed with like Hunter Gex or something like that. Is Rebecca Black that lady Friday. who sung Friday? Yeah. Oh my God, dude. Yeah, so she made a comeback. Shame. Yeah, it's like using our irony in a lot of ways, especially within the art direction. But the yeah. sound design is just fucking incredible. And um, one thing I've noticed is pop punk is kind of a huge influence in it too. Yeah. Like Blink-182 and stuff like that? Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure Blink-182 oh. was on some uh, hyper-pop stuff. This kind of makes sense, man. I feel like... Um, I feel like what's happening is life is just going through a giant loop over and over again. Constantly. And like what was <laughs> happening in like the early 2000s was all this like R&B shit, right? Like yeah. uh, this, this R&B like TLC and like uh, I guess what else is going on there? Like I guess Spice Girls and shit were just before that. But then they were, like it went through this huge phase of like Fergie, I guess was, was there. Yeah, maybe, like, yeah. Like Black Eyed Peas and all that shit. And then um, – yeah, it was all this R&B vibe stuff. And then it like went on, went on to that like emo punk kind of vibe, I believe, after that with like Blink-182 and a bunch of those like MTV skate video type bands. Um, and now it's kind of like doing the same thing where like we just went through all of that R&B stuff with acts like Wave Racer and like Flume and, you know, they, they kind of all had that influence in their music a little bit, I think. Yeah. And now it seems like it's going on to that next phase again. Yeah, upgraded kind of. Yeah, exactly. It's all just like new renditions of these old things. Yeah, totally. I guess it's sort of I guess it's in the name, like hyper pop. You know, they've just fucking made it hyper. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Damn, I'll have crazy. to check it out. So, you, uh, um, hundred gex is like the one. To yeah, one hundred gex is like kind of the I guess at the apex of it right now. Dorian Electro is really great. Um, hmm, tons of great. Just honestly, on the YouTube recommended, you'll find Deconstructed Club is like definitely probably the less ironic cousin, but Deconstructed Club has been around since like 2010. It's like taking like all the weird IDM classic uh, genres like Garage, fucking House, um, all these things, and then deconstructing them in a way that like uses polyrhythms and lets the sounds breathe kind of on their own, and it's a bit slower. Um, I really like it. It kind of relates with like its cousin Gom, which is like the African version of it that kind of surfaced at the same time. And um, yeah, they're they're really cool genres. Do you listen to Starkey by chance? A little, yeah. I've done some shows with him in the past. Yeah, I think he's on the Deconstructed Club tip now. Hmm. So what's like a good... Uh... Is Starkey a good example of Deconstructed Club? Yeah, he's kind of got his own spin on it, but I, I'd say he's really successfully doing a tasteful Deconstructed Club for sure. Yeah, his newer shit. Cool. Yeah, I'll have to check it out. Yeah, he sends me his albums every now and then. I haven't... I googled Starkey and the first thing that came up is, uh, Starkey, <laughs> find the best hearing aid for you. <laughs> I did that last night, actually. That's funny. I was talking to him and I like googled just some info on him and then that came up. <laughs> Yeah, look yeah, up Starkey like music. 
Yeah, it looks like they're a giant hearing aid company. That's hard. That's such a sick name for like Starkey himself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, that's cool. I have to check these out. Um, like, where are you finding these genres? And like, I've never even heard the name Deconstructed Club. Like, who's who's saying this name? Just the internet. I feel like I a lot of my influences definitely come from bass music, but a lot of them come from like uh, just like the hipster side of electronic, like the weird kind of maybe too far in their own ass, but once in a while, like the best thing you'll ever hear. <laughs> so a lot of artists like, um, I'm trying to think of a good example. Mm. <clears throat> a really, really successful example of this, do you know Zora Jones and Senjin Hawk? No. No? Crazy, fuck. I gotta, hmm, I'm trying to think of a like prime example that might dip into the electronic world a bit. Zora Jones? Zora Jones and Sinjin Hawk are crazy. So Sinjin Hawk has done like production credits for Kanye and stuff. He's kind of doing his thing. And then uh, Zora Jones makes like really crazy kind of deconstructed hyper stuff. And um, they have this really cool live show where they use an Xbox Connect as a theremin. As a theremin to... Um, What's going on out there? That <laughs> The cafe people are watching a uh, beekeeping seminar. So, Wait, hype stuff. What? Why do you think they? What? What could bees have possibly done that made them clap? <laughs> <laughs> like, Fuck, Fuck man, the yeah, queen landed. <laughs> That's so fucking funny. Yeah, I'm oh, very. They curious made honey. Well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah, they're they're uh, they're great. I didn't think they were gonna be here tonight. I apologize for that. <laughs> no, this is good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'll have to ask them about that. I'll I'll comment on the recap when uh it comes out of what <laughs> That's the... cool that uh you just like right next to a cafe. Is this where you live too or is this just your studio? No, but this is my studio. It's uh I used to frequent this cafe and then a couple of the employees there started their own in this building. And I was coming by every now and then I saw this back room and there was like a recording booth over here and I was like, That's a recording studio. So I talked to the building owner and he was like um, yeah, like a couple of people have tried to grab it for different reasons, but we just weren't like vibing too well. And I was like, I like put down money I didn't have. I was like, I'll pay like my first six months rent if you can just give this to me for cheap. And eventually they like settled with me and they didn't need any money except like damage deposit and first rent. And I managed to land the space for 350 a month, which is like incredible to find a studio space downtown in Calgary. But, um, I live like w outside of the city basically. Yeah. Why, why did you want a separate studio space? Um, it was nice because I live in a basement suite and the noise travels upstairs pretty frequently. It's like kind of below people's bedrooms. And then um, it's just mostly the effect I've had, aside from being able to work late at night, that's really helped me is having a separate space to like actually focus in on work. And like usually when I'm in my studio, like if I had home studios before this, when I was doing that, I would just like get distracted, like go watch some fucking thing on YouTube and then like, you know, overeat. Like I would just snack all the time and then having <laughs> this place with like, you know, limited distractions is great. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I, before I moved to San Francisco, I had a um, separate studio space in Denver and that was really nice. But um, I kind of like the home studio vibe again, to be honest. I really enjoy like just sort of like, I don't know, floating around the one area for a shitload of time just like making beats and like eating and just it's it's around. a nice feeling for sure saves a lot of time too like not having to go to the studio and stuff uh, yeah. i also i felt like when i was like setting up for my day to go to the studio every day i'd be like all right i gotta like drink enough coffee at home because i don't have coffee at the studio <laughs> and then i've got to like eat some food so i don't get hungry over there for a while because there's no food there and i have to make sure like I don't forget anything from home and like all this shit. And it would take me just like four hours to get out of my house and yeah. go to the studio every day. And then once I, I finally that. got there, I'd work for like two hours and then I would just come home. Yeah. Again. I felt yeah. like I was just spending way less time in the studio than I would have if it was just at my house. I definitely feel that ups and downs. Luckily there's always coffee here. And then like um, at night there's nobody here. And um, the best like, Asian food for some reason is on this block. We're not like in Chinatown, but there's just like fire food on the block. So it's good to, it's a decent location. Good find, but I feel you on the like not wanting to leave your house part. 
Yeah, especially in the winter, especially like in Calgary, it's got to be bad, right? So basically, let me phrase it like this. If you stay outside, no matter what jacket you're wearing for more than 30 minutes, like if you're just standing there or laying there, you start to die. Like you will start to die. It's minus 40, I guess, in Fahrenheit. It's minus 40 right now. Is that like more than Celsius? So they meet at minus 40. Oh, okay. Temperature in Calgary, let's see. Oh yeah, it's currently minus twenty-seven Celsius and minus seventeen Fahrenheit. Yeah, and this is like eight p.m., so it'll get down lower tonight. That's fucking crazy. Yeah, yeah, it looks like it's gonna get down to about minus thirty-one. That's like between three and six a.m. Yeah, man, it's fucked. And we have a pretty large homeless population, and unfortunately, a lot of them don't make it during the winter. Dude, yeah, it's gonna be brutal for them. Yeah. We have good services that'll pick up people and take them to like just cram them in shelters, basically. But we got to put more money into it, obviously. Fuck. Yeah, there's like a something that was posted uh, on Google, I guess, by the Southern Albertan Environmental Government or something. They said uh, extremely cold wind chill values between minus 40 and minus 55 will continue. This prolonged cold snap will persist into the weekend for most of Alberta. Watch for cold-related symptoms such as shortness of breath, chest pain, muscle pain, weakness, numbness, and a color change in your fingers and toes. <laughs> and extreme cold warnings are issued when very cold temperatures or wind chill. Yeah, this is crazy, man. It's brutal. It's so brutal. Like, like I, I was just It's walking. real cold. Don't die. <laughs> yeah, basically. I was just walking into like the corner store like a block away from here, and then within halfway there, all of my facial hair, which is not like a lot at the moment became one solid unit like it was snapping off and shit and like my mustache was just like apart like it wasn't a hair anymore you know it condensates so much and you're like you can't bend your fingers after a while being in there you start to like just shut down it's crazy it's fucked yeah that's so cold man but it's only about like two weeks of this and then it starts coming up our summers are really hot too like we get up to like i think 90 fahrenheit yeah, it was kind of the same in Denver. It didn't quite get that cold, but it was. Um, there was a couple of days where it was like minus twenty stuff like that. It was pretty yeah. fucked up. Denver is like the sister city of <clears throat> Calgary, though. I think. Yeah, kind of. Um, yeah, it's sick being in San Francisco though. I've just been mountain biking this whole winter. It's like I can just go outside and do whatever. It's great. <laughs> the weather's nice as fuck here. <laughs> totally. Yeah, I feel like at that point it's like almost the seasonal changes are there but they're almost too bland to like even really really appreciate it because then when it does get super hot you're just like so hot (laughs) that is kind of true i mean the thing about like cities that don't have crazy um weather changes is that all the infrastructure like all the houses and shit are just not set up for it so when it's cold here like i'm really cold in my house and when it's hot here, I'm really hot in my house because I, I don't have heating or air conditioning. Like yeah, just, yeah. There's no, I, there's no reason for it. Like 350 days a year, I don't need it. So like, you know, I'm not going to get heating and air conditioning for the two weeks of the year that I actually need it. I feel that. We're the same way. Like we always have heating no matter where. It's like bound to happen. But air conditioning is never here. So when it does get really hot, you're just dying. Like there's there's no escape. Walmart will might have like some cold air for a bit <laughs> you're like everyone to walmart <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> want to go link up at walmart <laughs> go get chili in the walmart <laughs> sick well hey man it's been awesome chatting to you i think i'm gonna bail because i gotta put together this set for um some mousetrap thing they have like a new compilation coming out soon and for some reason they want to get like sets from all the artists so i'm just gonna play a set like a pre-recorded one with myself filmed and Oh, nice. Um, Fuck yeah. That'll be good. Let me know when I can tune in. Also, when you're done your album, please send me. I would love to hear that. Oh, yeah. Likewise, man. Please send me your album as well. Yeah, I should. Yeah, yeah. Awesome, man. man. Well, I'll send you the audio. Yeah, yeah, please do. And thanks so much for coming on again, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. Huge honor, man. Yeah, yeah. All right. Peace. Hey, thanks for listening to the Mr. Bill podcast. These episodes are edited and uploaded by Robert Fumo. You can also support the show, get early access to episodes and hear bonus content by going to patreon.com forward slash Mr. Bill's tunes and becoming a patron. Uh, Please rate and review on iTunes unless you're going to be a little shit about it. And all the links to my various platforms are at mrbillstunes.com. Thank you.